So that's probably the biggest one. If people really want to make an impact, if yeah. they know what their conversion metrics are, and then they go and drive a specific metric, massive increase in business with with little to no more work. It wasn't like we were doing any extra work. We were already meeting with the people. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui with a quick commercial break. But you guys have been hearing these ads, Follow Up Boss, right? They've been one of our longest standing sponsors of the podcast. And heck, most of you guys actually use Follow Up Boss. You've heard from so many of our interviews when we're asking people, what is your favorite CRM? Follow Up Boss is by far the most trusted, picked CRM that we hear from people that we're interviewing. You know, Follow Up is huge. As an investor, there are so many times recently that we reached out one extra time to somebody that two months ago said they thought about selling us the house. And by just following up again, they said, yes, I'm ready to sell today. And they didn't know us from anybody. They were gonna say yes to the next person that reached out. And it was the fourth or the fifth time that we reached out to them. So follow-up is important as an agent, as an investor, as everything. You know, follow-up boss gets you and your team totally organized contacts leads all in one place they have like 250 integrations to all the other things out there for like texting phones voicemails all the other products that are out there it helps you convert leads to deals and then you decide how you want to expand and exactly when that happens for your business so tons of guests in here here's a couple of our guests saying what they like about follow-up boss i think follow-up boss gives you the most integrations that are simple and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform. Um, it tracks everything that I need. I can customize it if I want. If I want to go smart list based, that's fine. If I want to go task based, it's fine. It just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user friendly. Also, before I forget, Follow Up Boss is hosting FubCon. Yes, FubCon 2022. It's an annual event hosted by Follow Up Boss the leading CRM in the real estate industry. The three-day event is packed with actionable tips, strategies that agents can use to double their listings, convert more buyers, and create systems that their agents love using. And right now, as the market gets tougher, a conference like this is exactly the thing you need. The keynote speakers are some of the most iconic agents in the business, and they're sure to inspire and motivate attendees. In addition to educational sessions, there'll be plenty of networking opportunities with some of the industry's brightest real estate professionals. FubCon is a perfect opportunity to learn and take your business to the next level. I hope you check it out. What is up, real estate rock stars? Welcome. Thank you for being here today with my special guest, Stephanie Brackett. Now, you probably know this name, Stephanie Brackett, because she is also, like me, a guest host on this amazing podcast, Real Estate Rockstars. Stephanie, you may or may not know, is the VP Operations for DRO Investments. She's got an incredible background, and especially for a time like this, folks, where we're talking about moving into a market shift, or maybe you're already in it, Stephanie's going to be an amazing resource for you. Welcome, Stephanie. Great to be here. Thanks, Courtney. 
Oh my gosh, I'm so thrilled. We were talking pre-show about your ninja skills and all the things that you love and all the things that you nerd out on. And it's just really, really important stuff for a time like this, more so maybe than any other time. I mean, when you're making money and things are easy and the deals are flowing and everybody's business is growing, I think it's fair to say that it's easy to take your mind off of the bottom line and a lot of the efficiencies in your organization because there's just deals kind of lining up for you. And now, depending on the market of our listeners, things are changing. Uh, I know some markets are already down 25 or 30% uh, year over year. And I know now people are being more conscious of their conversion. They're being more conscious of their spending. Uh, they're being more conscious of a lot of things in their business that they didn't necessarily have to over the past couple of years. And and from our uh, discussion earlier, Stephanie, it sounds like you've really made it your business over the years to help businesses and companies be more efficient. Does that sound about right? It, absolutely. Yep. And in the market, you know, it's one of those things where we get a little bit lazy when the things are going really easy and we forget the basics. And that's probably what most people are feeling right now. And anybody who's got in the business in the last two years they don't realize what a what a hard market is, what a really tough market is, what the 2008, 2009 market was. And so it's, it's really yeah. easy to get a little bit complacent, I guess is the best word, complacent in how you run your real estate business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, even the shift that we saw around 2016 to 18 in a few different markets really paled in comparison to what all of us saw back in 2008 through 2010. And you were in business at that time and, and you were working, you know, with big teams. So maybe tell us a bit about your background, Stephanie, and help our viewers and listeners understand where you come from and why your insights here today are so valuable to them. Perfect. So yes, I got my real estate license back in 2006. So the market was a really good market back then. You know, we were in a seller's market. There was a lot of properties, a lot of inventory. Um, I worked on a small team first, just myself and one agent. I was her administrative assistant, kind of built her business. I was one of those EAs that kind of did it all. I mean, like fix the lady's right. credit, whatever she asked, I did. Pick up her dry cleaning, <laughs> run all her transactions. I did everything. And, and from when you there, left, I, she was in shambles. Yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> she was awesome. She actually relocated. So it was okay. Like we parted on great ways. She moved down to, to St. George. I'm in Idaho. So she moved yeah. down to St. George to retire. So it was okay. So I started um, working for a team and we were actually the first Keller Williams team in the Idaho, Idaho area, Eastern Idaho. And so um, he, the guy that brought me on said, Hey, I, I want to build a team. There's this team concept, which was kind of unheard of back then. You know, I want to yeah. build this team. So will you help me build a team? And I'm like, absolutely. So we basically built a team from the ground up. And, um, I was actually recruited away from that team to a bigger team after. So mm -hmm. I've built two teams from the ground up, but the second team I joined, I joined in 2011. Okay. So you know what the market was like in 2011. Um, yeah, that was after true. the crash. Our biggest, our biggest um, customer at that time was Fannie Mae. We had the Fannie Mae contract. And so 75% of the homes we sold were foreclosures. Yeah, that's right. So that's my background is building teams. When I, when I joined that team, it was um, myself, two agents, and um, kind of a Fannie Mae team that was helping. Like they were the, the they just kind of did the Fannie Mae stuff, fixing up the billing, all the yeah. um, communication with Fannie Mae. 
And that was it. That was the whole team, just, just us. And when I left the team here back um, in March, there was 47 people on the team. So we had gone from a tiny little team to a giant team. Yeah. What people don't realize is that doing those types of deals, you know, those bank owned properties, there's a tremendous amount of administration in the back end. So much work required. And I presume that you were heavily involved in, in creating a lot of those efficiencies and delivering a lot of the outcomes there. Yeah, for sure. And it was one of those things where, you know, your, your livelihood rested on your Fannie Mae report card that you got every month. And the Fannie Mae report card basically said, this is, you know, how close you were to list price, how, Mm -hmm. you know, were you able to sell the properties to to list price, how quickly you sold them. So you Mm -hmm. had these report cards that were published once a month. And if you got like a D on your report card, it was like, end of show, like you're done. Wow. Because they'll just drop you as their Fannie Mae contract and pick somebody else up. But just tons of back-end stuff, tons of back-end stuff that went into yeah. selling those properties. It's not just, hey, oh, I got the Fannie Mae contract and now I get to sell all the bank-owned stuff. A lot of work. No, a lot of, a lot of work. And, and so you've been in a position of supporting teams of various sizes nearly your entire career and and you love this type of work, you love systematization, you love reporting, you love data. And the beautiful part of a person like you is is not only being able to systematize a lot of the things in the background, but being able to have them speak to you in a way that informs appropriate decision-making that can drive profitability for an organization. And so I'm gonna ask you a fairly broad question, Stephanie, but if you could think of maybe one or two things that you've seen consistently in different teams that when systematized and when you have data on this information has been most impactful for driving bottom line net income. Can you think of one or two things primarily that that mean that to you? Yeah, probably probably the biggest one was actually tracking your conversion metrics. Um, I know a lot of teams, they, they track a lot of different things and they have random data here and there. But if you get really serious about one or two data points that can make a massive impact in your business, probably conversion metrics, a few of the key conversion metrics are going to be the biggest one. And I know one that we tracked on our team that just I, when we when we did the math, it was a million dollar number to the bottom line, a million dollars. And that was our appointment. It was our um, rep signed our appointment to rep signed conversion rate. So I went on an appointment and I got a rep signed that conversion rate. Now, when we, when we originally decided on that number, the reason we decided on it was because it was more business to the bottom line without meeting one more person. We already Mm -hmm. had the appointment with them, but it was getting that representation agreement signed with them because we know if someone signs a rep agreement, the likelihood that they're actually going to do business with us, transact business is pretty high. It's like 95%. Mm -hmm. So if I was to try to go from rep signed to um, a contract, that conversion rate, I've only got 5% to play with. It's not a big number for me to impact because they're going to do business with me. But our appointment to rep conversion when we started was at 25%. So it was quite, I mean, fairly decent. 25% you think is good. But we did the math and said, if we can go from 25% to 50%, we're not going mm-hmm. on one up more appointment than we were already going to go on. We're just signing double the amount of reps. That mm-hmm. would be $1 million to the bottom line. And so wow. that metric was a massive, 
massive impact to our numbers. And that's what we went after. And so everything we did for an entire year, every project, everything we, all the training and coaching we did with our agents was to drive that metric up. Mm. So are we saying the right things? Are we following up often enough? Are we following up with the right messaging? What are we doing in order to get that number to increase? So that's probably the biggest one. If people really want to make an impact, if yeah. they know what their conversion metrics are, and then they go and drive a specific metric, mm. massive increase in business with, with little to no more work. It wasn't like we were doing any extra work. We were already meeting with the people. That's right. Different words. I want to dive on that a little bit, and I'm sure that you've got other examples that you can share in, in a minute. But I think while we're here, I'd like to just go a little bit deeper. So help us understand the outcome. So you, you were at 25%. You had the objective of 50%. Where did you get to? We got to 50%. In fact, we were up around 51, 52. It would drop back down to 47, 48. But consistently, we were right around that mark. And it was a wow. number that was literally published every day to the team. Everybody on the team knew what the metric was by person, by which agent. Right. That's incredible. And everybody wins by that metric too. That's the beauty in that. It's not company driven. You know, your agents are making more money when their conversion's better and they're feeling that. So uh, I, I love that you had that awareness. I love that you had that goal. I love that you got there. How much was the bottom line impacted? Um, I think, it, well, it was over a million dollars. I mean, we closed 7.5 million in GCI that year, which was far greater than the year prior of 5.3 million. So it was a lot. And obviously the number was driven somewhat by purchase price because of course the market was on an increasing trend and the average sure. sale price was going up, but yeah. it was a massive impact to the bottom line. We're talking a million dollars. Yeah. So the takeaway is that it did have the intended outcome on the bottom line as, as you and uh, other team leaders had hoped. That's so cool. Okay, cool. So now talk us through some of the levers that you pulled to support agents in, in seeing that. See, one of the things that I, I don't think is talked about enough in the conversations that we have generally is how was that change managed? How was that rolled out? What was the messaging? How did you get team buy-in to wanting and needing to learn new ways of doing business when by most measures they were already successful. So how did that process work from a leadership standpoint? Yeah, actually. So first what we had to do was identify if we were setting good appointments. So we had an ISA team. A lot of teams have an, a team of ISAs. So we were, we were running an ISA team. And the first thing we had to do was really define what a good appointment is. What is mm -hmm. it? So we didn't have these two teams. The ISAs are saying, hey, I set you a lay down and you didn't convert it. And the agent's saying, no, you set me a crappy appointment. That's why I didn't convert it. So the very mm -hmm. first thing you ha we had to do was define what constitutes an appointment. So we defined that. And it was basically three things. They needed to be willing to um, well, they needed to be looking to buy or sell real estate, transact within the reasonable future. And what we considered reasonable future was six months. They needed to be willing to answer all of our motivation questions, which were like seven or eight questions. You know, why are you looking to move? How soon do you need to be there? Have you mm -hmm. pre-qualified for a mortgage? So they had to answer those things. And then they had to be willing to meet with an agent face-to-face -face or on Zoom if they were out of state. And okay. so that was our definition of, okay, yes, that is a good appointment. We've defined the appointment. So now we don't have any backwards and forwards, like ISA saying, hey, it was good. And the agent saying, no, it's not. So first right. of all, defining what an appointment is helps tremendously. So we defined mm -hmm. that. 
Then we went after the agents and said, okay, what are the scripts they're using? What are the objections that they're getting? And how are they actually converting these leads? And it was train constant training for the agents. So we would look at metrics every day. And if we see an agent at 60% conversion, and then we've got one at 25%, they're getting the same appointments set by the same ISAs. So what is it? What's the 60% are saying that the 30% are isn't saying? Mm-hmm. and training and coaching around scripts and actually asking for the close. And how did you unpack that? Did you have shadowing in place so that you had somebody, a team leader, another team member going along to some of these appointments to kind of to see that? Because the beauty of your, your calls is that you often have recordings, but an in-person meeting, you know, a lot of times it's hard to get accurate data around that. So how did you unpack that? Yep, we did. We had a sales manager that 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 was his one goal for the whole year was to get that metric up. If you, you know, that a lot of times you talk to people and everybody should have a number. I can't remember what book that was that I I read. Everybody should have a number. Everybody Mm -hmm. should know what their number is and be driving towards their number. Like our ISAs, their number was two, two appointments a day. That was their number every day, two appointments. Our sales manager, his number was 50% conversion. And so everything mm-hmm. he did was driving around that. So if someone was having a hard time converting, he'd go with them on an appointment. And then he'd sit with them after and watch what the follow-up was. We had standards for how often the follow-up was supposed to happen based on the appointment outcome. Mm-hmm. So if someone was 30 days, they're going to buy or sell in 30 days. They were put on an A priority plan and a task fired to them every three days. We wanted them to contact that person every single three days if they were right. going to convert in 30. And then we held them to those standards, the agents to those standards with what we called a pipeline audit. So mm-hmm. we would go and audit their pipeline and say, hey, show me everybody assigned to John, who's an A priority. How many of those people have not been contacted in 30 days? Right. And then a B was every seven days, C was 14 days, and a D was every 30 days. And so we'd audit their pipeline. And that's what we used, one, to give new leads. Yeah. You're not, if your pipeline's not clean, I can't give you more people. Let's go convert right. the ones you already have. And then B, to have the sales manager come in and coach you on, okay, why are, why are we behind? Why aren't we contacting these people? Are they really not an A and you're not calling them because they really aren't going to transact in 30 days? Or are they an A and you're just not contacting them enough because maybe you don't know what to say or right. you don't know how to close the deal? That's really powerful. And so it sounds like this was a, a two-person task. So was it the sales manager and you or the sales manager and some other person who was kind of auditing and supporting this entire process? Help us unpack the people that were overseeing and kind of pouring time into that. Yeah. So the sales manager was the one-on-one person. The reporting was really done by the operations staff all on the back end. So I had a Mm -hmm. virtual assistant that was pulling these pipeline audits and she would pull them on a random day of the week. So I might get my pipeline audit on Monday this week and next week I'm going to get it on Wednesday so that the agents couldn't just go hurry up and try and clean up their pipeline before their audit happened. They really Mm -hmm. needed to be clean. So there was the And then all of the dates that drove the metrics were done through our system. So basically, if an agent went on an appointment, they turned in an appointment recap, and then the ops team on the back end made all the updates so that we made it as easy as possible for the agents to get their data into the system. They didn't have to really think about it. They just turned in an appointment recap. And so it was ops team, sales manager that were really the drivers of, of those numbers. That's incredible. 
Yeah, at times like this, you know, I talked a little bit before about about a market shift. And I think so often people go into these opportunities with a lot of fear and without a real plan, whether you're a single agent, whether you're a team member, whether you're a team leader, it's just really important to remember that there's a lot that we can control. We have control over our mindset. We have control over our prospecting. We have control over our scripts and our dialogues. We have control over the conversion rates that we use as a function of a lot of those things just mentioned. We have the ability to do an audit on the expenditures that maybe are no longer relevant or maybe aren't ROIing in the way that we want. And we also have to remember that at a beautiful time like this, people are leaving the industry. Now, we don't want it to be anybody that we know or anybody listening to this right. podcast, but the truth is, is that, you know, the market may go down 40%, but we'll still lose 20, 30% of the agents that got into the market over the past couple of years or folks that have been at it a long time and are now using this shift as an opportunity to retire. And so in a lot of ways, like the per agent production available remains fairly consistent during a shift like this. And so what I always say and what you're, what you're teaching folks here today, Stephanie, is that what an opportunity to gain market share by just keeping your eye on a couple of key levers that you can pull. And so having said that, what are some other levers that in your mind have been really impactful over the years, the shifts that you've worked in, the teams that you've been a part of, uh, in addition to the ones that you've already mentioned that somebody might look at, at a shift like this one? Well, the funny thing is, is we're constantly in a shift. You know that. I know that. We went through a shift in 2019. It was just a different shift. You know, mm -hmm. COVID hit and we had a different, we're always in a shift. The That's first right. thing you have to do is identify, like get real with what the shift is. Like, let's get real with what's actually happening. And like you said, agents are going to be bowing out. That's going to happen now. But what are the, what are the opportunities we have within this shift to excel? And that's where you can capitalize. And if you know your metrics, like you just mentioned, if you know your metrics, that's when you can capitalize on them. So right now, another lever you could pull is your contacts. How many people are you contacting in your database? If your database, if you have 3,500 Mets, I've met these people in my database. I've talked to them. I've transacted with them or they're my sphere. You should be generating 350 units out of those 3,500 every single year. And so that's a metric you can go after. You can say, hey, crap, I'm only getting 6%, not 10. How do I increase my messaging to these people? How do I increase the number of touches to these people? So I can drive that number and actually get my 10% because mm -hmm. you should, statistically speaking, you should be getting 10% every single year out of that met database. So that's an easy number to track. How many did you right. do? How many do you have? How do you increase that? And I always say, if you start with purpose, like what's the purpose of the system is to increase that. You can go build an amazing system. If my purpose is to get more deals out of the people I already know, great. Now I can start figuring out how to do that. Brainstorm all the ideas. And it may be more touches. It may be client events. It may be whatever. The beautiful thing, as you know, about those types of leads, those types of opportunities is that they're sitting there. You just have to go after them and ask for that business. And, and too often, I think agents are in the habit of going out, trying to spend their way to profit, you know, chasing some sort of 
bunny rabbit that they think is going to help them make more money rather than looking at what's already in front of them, a database that probably isn't contacted in the way that it needs to be or could be. And so talk to us about that. It sounds like that's some change that you've made in, in maybe one or two of the organizations that you've worked in. So, so talk us through what you did specifically to affect that, that particular outcome. So, I mean, if you look at your touch program, you know, we call it a touch program. How often are we touching our clients? Mm -hmm. You can look at it right now and say, okay, my messaging that I was sending to them last year probably doesn't apply anymore. I had this like, you know, set it and forget it type thing. It doesn't apply anymore. So I need to go back and say, okay, maybe I'm at 8% right now and I want to get to 12% because that's going to mm -hmm. actually help me meet my goal. I'll hit my goals if I can just get 12% out of my database. All right. Now I need to look at what do people want to know right now? What information do I have that I could give people that would be of value to them to make them think, hey, I want to call Stephanie if I'm going to do real estate. And most right. people don't do that. They're just like, oh, it's St. Patrick's Day. Nobody cares. Everybody knows it's St. Patrick's Day or, oh, it's this holiday. Give them information they actually want. People mm -hmm. want to know what's going on in the real estate market right now. It's crazy. It's all over the news. They want to know what does it look right. like? How is that impacting me? What, what's happening to the value of my home? So give them information that they actually want and make sure that every message you're sending out is something they want and then has some sort of value to them or call to action to call you back. They want to know what new businesses are opening up where they live. Everybody wants to know if there's a new restaurant coming or if there's a new you know, service business, a new school. People want to know that stuff. So think about what information they want and give them that. Stop telling them it's Christmas and it's Easter and it's New Year's. They know that. They already know yeah. that. Yeah, there's this concept of, of meeting people where they're at versus just kind of spamming people with kind of generalized information. And I love what you said which alludes to the fact that many folks do indeed have these pre-written email campaigns that go out kind of seasonally or on birthdays, or maybe they're auto texts, or maybe they're, you know, automatically generated voicemails or something. But the truth is, is that now, especially over the last, I think, five years, we've all gotten so accustomed to AI, to automations, and to being able to very easily detect something that's sincere and customized that meets me where I am specifically, or at least a, a demographic of people that are in my community versus kind of some generalized AI message or automated message that's really not meaning anything to me at all. And, and the key difference at this stage in the game, I think, in our industry is that a lot of those tools are readily accessible, even below average performers in many cases use these tools. And so in order for us to really level up our game, we have to have that personalized messaging. It has to be done with more frequency and it has to be done meeting people where they're at better, more effectively, realizing that we're there with them. Not We're not kind of above them, you know, projecting, you know, some baseless, useless information down upon them, right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And and if you really sat down and thought about it for 20 minutes, you can see companies that you know that are giving you information on products that they sell that you look at. You're like, oh, wow. You know, Tory Burch is on sale today. I care about that. I'm going to go buy some Tory Burch. But, right. you know, you have to make sure that you're looking at what marketing you're getting and then realizing, okay, why is that a hook to me? And then integrating that into the marketing you're sending out. What's a hook to them? What information could you give them that they actually want to get from you? 
Yeah. And the truth is, is that the data is not hard to get the tools that you can use for creating great hooks and great anchors and great copy aren't hard to find. Gosh, you can go look that stuff up on Google. There's a few books that you can buy that you're sending out amazing copy. You're sending out amazing messaging and you're getting engagement and you're building stronger relationships and rapport with people that already knew, like, and trusted you. But now you're just being reminded as a consumer about how great this person is and how awesome they are providing you with things that you see valuable. So that's really, really powerful. Those are two things that I think any agent, any team, or even team member can be doing. Something that I want to unpack just as a, as a relevant detail for those of you that are listening that are on teams. We have a large team, and one of my team members who's been with us now three or four years since the very beginning has been really, really good about building a follow-up campaign for his past clients. And that's in addition to the one that our team uses. This person by their third year now is almost working entirely on referral. He's gonna do 70, maybe 80 transactions this year, hasn't been on lead rotation with the team for months now, and is doing that much business consistently from, from his past SOI. And so I think you know the, the kind of inference that a lot of people have is that I'm gonna get on a team and I don't need or shouldn't have to do those things. And this person on our team is looking at it like, what a massive opportunity. I get to take advantage of all the benefits that the team has. I, I use this campaign. It's for free. It's software that he already gets through our brokerage. He's not stressed about it. It takes probably five minutes, maybe you know, a week or something to manage. By the time he posts this video, links it and sends his email in total, maybe he's up to an hour. But to what end? You know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in commission income now by his third year licensed. And that's awesome. opportunity that's available to every single person using strategies like the ones that you've just shared. A hundred percent. And the cool thing about it is honestly, you know that when you are working with someone you've already worked with in the past, your chances of conversion are like 95%. And you've got these agents, new agents or agents on a team that are like all gaga about the Zillow lead that they got. When dude, like Go get the guy you just sold a house to last week and get him to give you a referral. It's a way easier close than some Zillow lead that came in over the phone. Mm -hmm. They just, I mean, if they really wrap their mind around how powerful it is to have someone else give them a name and go after that and how much easier that is to convert or someone they've already done business with, so much easier to convert. But they chase these, these other things. They just chase them and they're so much harder. I, I think there's something in that, Stephanie, that, agents sometimes feel awkward or badly going back to people that they've already done business with and asking them for support. And one of the things that I've consistently tried to share with my team members is that there's a couple of real easy scripts that people can use. I mean, first of all, if you really liked working with someone, why not just say, hey, you know what? I really liked working with you. I'm going to miss the opportunity to get together with you folks so much. You don't happen to have any friends or family that are looking at buying in the next little while. It'd be cool to meet some of your some of your sphere. Like just a simple question like that introduced periodically or circling back with someone and asking them that same question. Another one that I love to use is going back sometimes at the first of the year, depending on when the year it is, and just saying, hey, you know, I'm circling back with you. It was so great to work with you last year. I've got some really, really aggressive goals this year that I wanted to share with you. But first, tell me what your goals are for this year. Tell me about how your summer has been or whatever. And then circle back with them and say, hey, you know, I wonder if I can get your help. I need a favor if it's okay to ask. I've got this goal of selling 80 homes this year. And it'd be really cool if you happen to know somebody that maybe could support me in doing that. Do you have any friends or family that are looking at buying this year that maybe I could speak to? Like when, when you kind of build a social contract around 
your goals and you connect the people in your sphere, past clients that you've liked and enjoyed doing business with, who are your confident, had a great experience with you, what you find is that those people become these magnificent champions for you. And they'll be like so thrilled to be a part of your success. They just can't wait to give you that referral. And all we had to do was create an opportunity for them to have to do that for us. But too often, I think we're in our own minds, shyly pretending that that's not something that we can create or facilitate. Have you seen that happen? Oh, 100%. There's agents that really get kind of I don't want to impose. I, I don't want to. I don't want to ask them. That, that feels pushy. That feels used car salesy to me. But the, the thing about it is, if they have a really good script that they've practiced and they've memorized and they've internalized, then it doesn't come off as scripty. What comes off as scripty is when you're like reading it off of a piece of paper. <laughs> then it becomes scripty, and it's not natural. Right. But if yeah. you can memorize, our team had the promise. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Mike Hicks was a pretty big deal in the Keller Williams world for brokerages. And he had the promise. And it was a script that everybody had to memorize and learn. And basically, the premise behind it was, I'm going to promise to deliver you an experience you can't imagine being any better. And in return, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask that you call, text, or email me with the name and number of someone I can help in real estate. And this is our, it's almost like a covenant. It's a two-sided promise. I'm promising to deliver this and you're going to promise to do this. And our agents that could, you know, memorize it and internalize it, it came off like you would not believe, like it was so natural. It didn't sound salesy. It didn't sound pushy. It was like, hey, you know what? Here's the script. And they would just lay it down. Right. And it was completely customized to them. It sounded like their own words. It didn't sound like they were reading off a piece of paper that was like this memorized script. And that's Mm. the thing. You just rattled off two that I can tell you've memorized and internalized. And they they don't sound pushy or salesy. That's the thing. Yeah. And, And the beauty in having a script, to your point, that is memorized and internalized, you're using your own voice, is that you can really use them at a variety of different places in the engagement with the client. And I think the challenge for a person who's not practiced in this is that they they try to awkwardly place it almost at the wrong time. And one of the things that I always liked to do was I would always act like I was being a little bit absent-minded and I was being super intentional about it. But I'm in, in an example like that, I might come to the you know closing table, or I guess the closing table would be a bad one for that. But let's say I'm you know just having signed my buyer's rep. And, uh, and I might say, oh gosh, you know, I almost forgot to say that I have a promise that I make to all the families that I work with. And I want to make that promise to you today. And so I would just act like I forgot it. I would slide it in and then finish off my script by asking for that business. And for whatever reason, when it seemed like it was like just an afterthought or it was like not the most important part of our meeting, it, it seemed a little bit subdued. It seemed a little bit more uh, better received. And the outcomes that I got from that were, were really, really good. Super intentional in the way that I did it, but seemingly very unintentional in terms of the way that it was delivered. So a lot of different ways you can do that, but you're right when you're not practiced and you haven't internalized it, you don't remember to do these things. And when you do, they sound kind of clumsy and they're always put at like this most awkward time. It seems where people are like looking right through you thinking, man, like, why are you saying this to me right now? Like this doesn't feel right. And they don't want to give you the referral then. Right. And you can always tell, like, you know, you've been out there in the world and you've gotten a script laid on you that, you know, is like some memorized thing that someone, and you can tell them, I mean, I could pick it up in a second when Mm. you don't know you've been sold. That's when someone is like a master at scripts. 
that it just right. came off so naturally. You'll you'll think like three hours later, holy crap, that dude just sold me. I just realized he was laying down a script. That's the good ones. Yeah, but as a salesperson, you appreciate that because you can recognize the craft 100%. in it. And and I I want to buy from people like that. I mean, I'll, I'll be putty in their hands as a salesperson, recognizing that I'm being walked down the path beautifully. Like, hey, it's a journey of my self-discovery. You're in yep. this to sell me something. I'm obviously a consumer. You've made it so easy. Now I want to high five you also just for being a masterful script user, right? Yep. I mean, I have yeah. it. I have a guy like he's my, I buy Volvo cars. That's all I've driven for probably the last 20 years. And I have Thomas is my Volvo guy. And I know I'm in his CRM. I get texts from him. I know I'm being sold, but yeah. I wouldn't call anybody else to buy a Volvo. I, I'm going to call yeah. Thomas. It's working, right? You're seeing it new works. models as they come out. He's telling you yep. when he's got something in stock that you might just want to yep. come by and look at. No pressure to, to do so. but Totally. Totally. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. Oh, that's so good. Well, Stephanie, there's thousands of other things that I'm sure that you could speak to given your background and knowledge. Is there one other piece of information that you think our agents, our team members, our team leaders need to be aware of going through the shift that you think would really be Im impactful in their business over the next 12 to 24 months? Probably the biggest thing is to not look at the shift as a bad thing. It is an absolute opportunity for people to take massive market share, to do massive business. There are people that only the strong survive a shift. They really do. Only the strong survive. So you've got to take a really hard look at your business. And as a team leader, your agents are probably scared. If you're a team leader and you're running a team, your agents are probably scared. And so the word opportunity needs to come out of your mouth, not shift or bad or this sales are down. Look, we've got a great opportunity here. We've got another opportunity here. Let's capitalize on this opportunity here. Like if you speak the language, I think that massive change can happen for agents and the ones that can survive this, holy crap. Like look what they can do in an up market. But you right. can survive any shifting market as long as you get your head on straight and you look for what opportunities are available to you instead of just, oh, the sky's falling, woe is me all the time. I love that. That's so important. I speak so much about mindset and looking after one's mental and physical health, especially during times like this. I mean, it's always important. But at times like this, you're right. You know, the energy that we bring to our conversations, you know, when we're out at a public gathering and somebody's undoubtedly asking us, oh, how's the market? You know, to be enthusiastic, to be inspired, to be excited about what's happening and then being able to walk that person down a path that has them winning by doing a real estate transaction at a time like this. And, and you're right, that is the thing that will separate folks that at the end of this period of time have gained massive market share and those that have maybe had to leave the industry because they didn't have control over that mindset. They didn't have the right scripts and dialogues to be able to use and they weren't fully prepared at every juncture to bring that energy, to bring that enthusiasm to this point in time. And I like to tell people, you know, it was the shift of 2000, let me think, 16 to 18, we increased our average team commission on listings 1%. We added a 500 transaction fee to buyers and sellers. Uh, during that time, uh, we also uh, started winning dramatically more in competition. Most times we would be getting the lowest price of the three that other realtors were coming with and always the highest commission. And why would that be? Well, that would be because of one's ability to establish a value proposition, to create a journey that somebody felt like they could win in 
and to be diametrically different than the other agents that they had already spoken to. So much so that they'd be willing to pay more for that and list a property at a lower price in order to accomplish the goal that they had. And that wasn't that we were different people. That didn't mean that somehow, you know, I had some magical power or our team members had magical powers. We simply were informed. We were looking after ourselves and we were excited and enthusiastic about what the opportunities were in front of us. And we showed people that and they believed it. they got on board and our business grew during that time, just like you said. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you li- definitely can win in any market. You absolutely can. You just have to get your head on straight and, and realize what the opportunities are. And we were the same. I mean, we went, the name of the game for us from 2011 to 2017 was follow-up. It wasn't lead gen, it was lead follow-up. We did not let a lead die. I mean, we were, con- mm-hmm. we're still, they're still converting leads that we talked to six years ago because right. we just continue to follow up and follow up and follow up. And in this last market that we just got out of, follow-up went away. People got away because they were like, I just roll out of bed and I sell a house. And I, there was no follow-up. There was no long-term nurture. And the people who are skilled at long-term nurture will absolutely win in a shifted market. And it's the ones who are not willing to practice it that are going to lose because the low-hanging fruit, all high now, it's gone. The low-hanging fruit is leaving. So you got to be able to climb a tree. And not only in terms of your lead acquisition or your customer acquisition, but also in your customer maintenance, because you catch a listing now, it doesn't sell in two days or a week like it used to. A lot of times you've got to go through price adjustments. A lot of time you've helped, got to help your consumer understand, you know, why that's the best decision, how it's not their fault, your fault, but it's a reflection of the market. You know, all those things are part of that more regular follow-up that I think many, many people right now are completely out of the habit of doing, especially these folks that just got into the market over the last couple of years. They, they don't even they know no what a price changes. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, I, all I know how to do is write a backup offer. I'm not sure about this price reduction thing, right? Right. So right. those are all Showing that feedback. Are that's another system that went by the yeah. wayside. No one asked for feedback. If they didn't that's right. like the house, they didn't buy it. But I have 17 other offers of people who did like the house. So showing feedback's another one that that mm. system went away and people have to figure out how to bring it back. There's a lot of systems that need to be overhauled for this new market. Yeah, it's true. The other piece that's going to be a factor there as well is that now agents over the last couple of years have gotten away from giving feedback because they haven't needed to, they haven't been asked. And so yep. you're right, during the kind of short term over the next 12 to 24 months, there's kind of a drought of feedback. And so A, you have to be great at trying to get it, but also be explaining why you can't get it and helping your client understand that sometimes the absence of feedback, the absence of offers is indicative of some other challenge that you're faced with. And you have to be able to paint these pictures for your consumers, not just in terms of bringing people into the fold, but also keeping them there once you've got contracts signed to them. Super important work. Yep. Yep. For sure. Really cool. Stephanie, this has been so impactful. This is such important information that you've shared with our listeners and our viewers today. Thank you so much for being on the other side of the desk with the Real Estate Rockstars podcast. Thank you so much. Stephanie, if people wanted to reach out to you and unpack some of these things that you've discussed today, how would they do that? Um, They can email me. I also do coaching for operations people. So I have a um, stephbracketopsboss at gmail.com and that's for coaching inquiries. They can reach out anytime for that. Fantastic. Stephanie, super awesome chatting today. Thanks for being here. Look forward to seeing you some other time. Okay. Take good care. Awesome. Thanks, Courtney. All right. Real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. 
Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, We've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients, and we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff rebusuniversity.com and if you want to chat with me go find me on Instagram if you come find me on Instagram you can send me messages tell me what you want to hear tell me what you liked what you didn't like we try to put a bunch of content out there too you can find me in two different places it's at rerockstars.com for our real estate rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things thanks for listening we'll see you again soon This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.